0: seated.
1: Well, church, it is great to be back with you in person today. For those of you who are newer to us, uh, my name's Fitz. I'm the lead minister here. And I've been gone the last few weeks, not on vacation, but actually on a study break. And I've been doing learning, listening tour, meeting with mentors, reading a lot, planning and prepping for what's ahead. And let me tell you, I have visited several other churches, and church, you just need to know, God is on the move here, there, and everywhere. Don't listen to the narrative in the news. The kingdom is growing, and God is moving. And it's exciting. There is no better time to be alive than right now, because the kingdom is advancing with force, and it's a beautiful thing. But I also need to let you know of all the places that I visited, there's no church that I want to be at more than this one right here. It is so good to be back home because God is doing something awesome here and it's beautiful to see and it's incredible. And I've loved that in my absence, we have such a strong team here that I don't have to worry about the preaching when I'm gone because we have guys who just fill in and do so good. Church, haven't you been blessed by the preaching of our team over the summer? And I think it's really great. It says a lot about our top-level leaders in this church, our elders, that they value allowing me to take time to study and to learn from others. And that says a lot about those men and their wisdom. And one of my top priorities is to meet with men who have done what I do, but who've done it longer, who've done it better, who have just been through it, and to learn from other great leaders. And church, i got to tell you, there's no one better than Bob Russell. And Bob, yeah, if you know Bob, Bob showed up in this city with a small church of about 150 and he dedicated his life to that church. And a few decades, four decades later, when it was time for him to retire from that ministry, they'd grown to several thousand, one of the largest churches in our nation. But when Bob retired from that, he never retired from ministry. He just passed the baton and allowed God to rewire him for his next season of ministry, where he's still pouring life into younger leaders like myself, into other pastors and preachers, and into other churches, and... Listen, we are in for a great treat today. I've already heard Bob preach once. I'm excited to hear him again. He is, he's just, he's Bob. So church, would you welcome Bob Russell? Well,
0: good morning. I've come to know your preacher over the last several years His son and my grandson are in the same grade. They're both sophomores at Christian Academy and playing the football team. So we bump into each other at football games, and we've gone out to lunch three or four times together. And I really appreciate his transparency and his passion for the Lord and for this church. I've heard him preach online. I know he is a very effective, dynamic communicator. And I just want to say, Oklahoma Christian, you are blessed with Fitz as your preacher here. You've got a lot to be thankful for. (laughs) <laughs> now, before I begin, I'm going to answer a question probably several of you are asking. I'm 79. <laughs> I'm going to say that while well, I started a chance to say it because in October I turned 80. I know that's old. I had, I had a friend say the other day that he's pre-planning his funeral. And he said, Bob, would you be willing to do my funeral? I said, I will, but you better hurry up. <laughs> I get to preach today from a passage of Scripture that's one of my favorites. It's 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We're going to begin reading a section with verse 11. We're going to talk about being contagious ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I'm going to read about 11 verses of Scripture. So if you don't follow along, listen carefully as I read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 and following. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. A little over a decade ago, I took a trip to China with a group of Christian leaders in America. We didn't go on a mission trip. We went to speak to Chinese government officials, asking them, pleading with them to ease up on the persecution of Christians in that communist country. We didn't feel like we had much success. But while we were there, we had dinner one night with the United States ambassador to China. It was in the U.S. Embassy. It was a stately, formal dinner. It was impressive. And you would expect it to be such in a country as vital to our national interest as China. But I grew up in the country, and I didn't want to make mistakes. So I did some reading in advance about what is the role of an ambassador. The ambassador is a representative of his home country living in a foreign nation. He's not just visiting there. He settles down and lives there. The ambassador is a diplomat who attends social functions with the intent of smoothing out relationships between nations. Uh, he, he doesn't hibernate in the embassy. He circulates among the people. He's an emissary communicating the message that the State Department wants him to convey. He can't make up his own message and just say what they want to hear. He's got to convey what the president wants him to say. And he's a guardian protecting his country's interest in the host nation. Uh, no matter how much he likes living there, he's got to remember his primary loyalty is to the United States. Now we are to be ambassadors for Christ in a country that is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. We're to be the Lord's representative in our environment. We're to smooth out relationships so that Jesus will be welcomed into the hearts of people who are not yet familiar with him. And we're to communicate the message that Christ wants us to convey. We can't just say what itching ears want to hear, what's popular in the culture. We've got to communicate what he has communicated in his word. And his primary message is God commands all men everywhere to repent and be saved. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In the book of Titus, Paul tells the slaves in the Roman Empire to serve their masters so well that they will make Christ attractive even to their masters. So whoever we are, the wealthiest person alive or a slave, we are to represent Christ as an ambassador in our circle of influence. One unassuming woman was asked in a small group what she did for a living. And she said, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a checkout girl at Kroger's. And that's the way we ought to see our job. But the problem is, most Christians don't consider themselves ambassadors at all. They more likely picture themselves as illegal aliens trying to go undetected for fear that they will be disclosed but that should not be rather than making Christ attractive we're making him anonymous Jesus said you're the light of the world a city that is set on a hill that is not to be hidden so I want you today to write down four words if you're not a note taker then you write down in uh, etch in your mind these four words from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 That tell us how we can be the most contagious ambassadors for Christ that we can be. The first word is the word transparency. Be transparent about your message and your motive. He says in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's also plain to your conscience. There's something attractive about people who are Transparent. We're a little suspicious of people who are too guarded, too secretive. They play it too close to the vest. We gravitate to people who are open and authentic. Stephen Brown was a radio preacher, pretty well known. And he preached in Key Biscayne, Florida for a long time. But he was notorious for his confession of his own faults. And one older woman in the church didn't like it much. She said to him, preacher... We've always had a preacher who said he was a sinner, but you're the first one we believed. (laughs) Now we may smile at that because we're attracted to somebody who's authentic. You know what we say about those people? We say, he's comfortable in his own skin. She's for real. What you see is what you get. Now the apostle Paul was authentic. He said, what I am is plain. I'm not trying to sneak up on you. He's very open about his mission. He said, I'm trying to persuade people to trust in Christ and be saved. In the previous chapter, chapter four, verse two, Paul wrote, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul didn't bait and switch. He wasn't deceptive. He didn't, water down the message to make it more palatable. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with clever words or high sounding vocabulary. I'm just a mailman. I'm trying to deliver the message as it was given to me and I'm trying to persuade people to become Christian. One of my favorite stories about the apostle Paul is in Acts 26, where Paul is hauled into court in Caesarea Philippi, accused of being an insurrectionist. And Governor Festus and his family, King Agrippa and his wife, and his entourage, they all packed this courtroom and they demanded that Paul defend himself against the charge of being an insurrectionist. So Paul goes back and recounts his conversion on the road to Damascus. And then he looks straight at King Agrippa after talking about Jesus. And he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. These things weren't done in a corner. They're spread around the world. Do you believe And King Agrippa, the most important person in the audience, was put on the spot. He said, Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, King Agrippa. I didn't mean to offend you. I apologize for trying to impose my values on you. One religion is just as good as another. No, Paul said, yeah, King Agrippa, I'm trying to persuade you to be a Christian. I wish that everybody in this room were just as I am except for these chains. Paul was very transparent. Now, I want to challenge you as a church to be transparent about what you're trying to accomplish here. I am of the opinion that seeker-friendly churches in the last couple of decades have made a mistake trying to camouflage the gospel, trying to sneak up on people and be ambiguous about what they're trying to do. They take the name church off the front. If you notice, somebody's in the bread basket or the watering hole or something... They use secular music to start the service to make the world feel comfortable. They don't preach in the Old Testament too much because it's too much about the wrath of God. They make the building look like a warehouse. And they don't use any religious symbols and take the cross off the top of the building. Now, when we were building Southeast Christian Church over off Blankenbecker... Parkway a couple decades ago, some people were suggesting maybe we shouldn't have a cross on top. But the elders of our church said, No, we're not going to camouflage the gospel. Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Let's make sure everybody knows we're under the cross. After it was built, a trucker a year later told me from out of town, he said, I was driving down I-64, and I looked over at night, and there was that huge building all lit up, cars all around it. He said, I thought it was a sports arena, and then I saw the cross on top of the building, and I thought, wow, they take their basketball serious in Kentucky. (laughs) Well, I hope they look at the cross and say, you know what, they take the Lord Jesus Christ seriously. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. So I want to challenge you as a church and as individuals. Be transparent about what you're trying to accomplish. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we're trying to persuade people. Oklahoma Christian, your primary mission is not benevolence. I like it that you're out here serving your community and trying to have this school blitz and, and influence people. Because Jesus said you're to care for the needy and minister to the sick and the hurting. But that's not your primary mission. Your primary mission is that of Jesus Christ who said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus said to his disciples, now you go into all the world and you preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, that's not easy to do. Because as long as you try to do social, meet social needs and communicate social justice, the world will applaud you for your compassion. But if you focus on trying to evangelize people, they will be offended. and It'll be a turnoff to the world. John Stott said evangelism is prickly because it calls people to repentance. But here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed along to you of first importance Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scripture. And by this gospel you were saved if you hold firmly to the truth that has been preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. So members of this church, you be very open, transparent in dealing with the world. Say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm trying to persuade as many people to go with me to heaven as I can. You know who's done that really well in the last couple of years? Most of us have seen him. Oscar Sreebway who was a was center for u k s basketball team, now, this is hard for me to admit i'm a u of l fan, but <laughs> Oscar Sweway would be my favorite u k player ever, ever because he just i loved the way he played with so much enthusiasm he was a good player, but I loved his testimony for jesus christ he was unashamed and open transparent about who he was and what he believed his dad was a pentecostal preacher in the congo died when he was 13 Oscar said i battled uh, depression and anger against god because he took my dad away but now he said i'm just trying to remain true to what my dad gave me his advice stick with the word of god no matter what people say i want to please god and help people i just want to speak for god i heard uh John Calipari, the coach interviewed, he was asked about Oscar Schwebe and he used the same word three times to describe him and listen to him and he said he's authentic. How many kids do you think have been influenced because this one guy who does what he can to the best of his ability and then gives a testimony that he's not ashamed of Jesus Christ? Be transparent. Here's the second word. It's the word intensity. Be passionate about your effort to represent the truth. Paul said, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If you are in a right mind, it's for you. But Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. The apostle Paul was intense about evangelism. From the time he was converted on the road to Damascus, he was on fire and passionate about winning other people to Christ. The message paraphrases this this paragraph. If I acted crazy... I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything that we do. In fact, in Romans 9, verse 3, Paul said, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He was so blood earnest in his desire to evangelize his brothers that people didn't understand it. They thought he's out of his mind. In fact, Festus said, In that trial said Paul your much learning Has driven you insane Paul said I'm not insane Festus What I'm telling you is true And reasonable Now let me warn you If you catch on To what Christianity is all about And you're not just lukewarm And you really grasp it And you become passionate Some of your worldly friends aren't going to understand They'll think you've lost it You're out of your mind Because we believe Differently than the world out there believes. We believe that we are here by divine creation. We're not here by evolutionary accident. We believe that every life is sacred from the womb to the tomb. We believe that God made man and woman, just two genders. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that forms the basic building block of culture, the family. We believe the Bible is the source of truth. It's not fluid, it's absolute. We believe that every one of us have inherited a sin nature from Adam. And regardless of how positive the environment, we still gravitate toward that which is evil. We believe there's only one way for sins to be forgiven. And that is through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Only one hope of life after death. And that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe there is a hell And there is a heaven and there is a hurry. And we believe what really matters are not the things that are seen, possessions and appearance and the things that are tangible. But the things that are unseen, heaven and the Holy Spirit and the things of the heart are more important. And if you believe those things, the world out there think you might have lost it. Those were things that are common beliefs. There was a common consensus of beliefs 60 years ago when I first started preaching. But our culture has gravitated toward the world so much that today you believe those things, you're out of your mind. Do you hear what Joy Behar of The View said about Vice President Mike Pence a few years ago when Mike Pence said that he prayed to God and God spoke to him? On television she said, our Vice President is mentally ill. Hosea, the ninth chapter, verse seven says, Because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet is considered a fool and the inspired person a maniac. The world out there, if you're passionate and you're intense, we'll say, You lost your mind. You're a bigot. You're a hater. Derek Johnson said, Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Now we know that's true. So we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. We don't want people to think we're weird. So we've learned to back off of evangelism. And we're not passionate about it. We've learned skillfully to circulate in our everyday lives with people who don't know the Lord. And we're congenial. We're good friends. They think we're great. And we never mention Jesus Christ. We never invite them to church. We don't talk about controversial issues because we don't want to be thought weird and different. A guy by the name of Mont Smith was a professor of New Testament at Hope International University in Fullerton, California. He did his doctorate on evangelism at nearby Fuller Seminary. He took an extensive survey trying to find out how people became Christian. He discovered that even in this era when churches are talking about missional versus attractional churches, that the vast majority of people still come become Christian because a friend invites them to come to church with them. They come to church they kind of like it they come back they get comfortable they hear the gospel months later they respond and accept christ as savior baptized but the interesting question Mont smith asked on the survey was this who invited you to church now i'm going to round off the statistics at first about 40 percent were invited by somebody who was a christian for less than a year about 30 percent were invited by somebody who was a christian for two years or less and the percentages continued to decline until, here's the statistic I remember. Less than 2% were invited to come to church by somebody who was a Christian for six years or more. How many of you in here have been a Christian for six years or more? Almost all of you. The bottom line is, the longer we're Christian, the less passionate we are about evangelism now we excuse that and say well the new christian has more contacts in the world the new christian has more enthusiasm The new christian has been rebuffed the way we are but the secret is spiritual isolation we love to come into the church building and sing about how great god's grace is and how we're going to go to heaven when we die then we go out and we get become we're illegal aliens out in the world we don't say anything because we don't want to be ambassadors for christ but Paul writes in Romans the 12th chapter, never lose your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I used to teach a what we believe class at church about twice a year. One evening after a lesson called What is Christianity all about, a college girl came up and introduced me to a friend she had brought with her that night. And she said I invited my friend to come in hopes that she would become a Christian the way I did a year ago, but she's got some questions. I said, sure. Well, the girl asked me a question about evolution. I tried to answer that. She asked me a question about why so many different denominations. I tried to answer that. She asked me a question about if there's a God, why does he permit so much suffering? I tried to answer that. But I could tell she was asking questions not because she had intellectual doubt. She was asking questions because her heart was still hard and she wasn't really ready to receive the seed of the gospel. So I said to her, I'm going to give you a book by Lee Strobel called A Case for Christ. I'd like for you to read this book and then let's talk. She agreed. I turned to the college girl who had brought her. I'm telling you folks, this girl had tears streaming down her face and she looked away embarrassed. She said, I'm sorry, but I want her to become a Christian so bad I can taste it. And I was convicted because I couldn't remember the last time I was so passionate about somebody who was lost, I wept for them. What about you? You got family members, people you go to school with, people in your neighborhood, people you sit with at the ball game. They are so lost. They have no hope of life after death. When was the last time you prayed for them or you invited them to church? I guess if there's one tangible thing I'd like for you to take away today is that God would put on your heart Some name, some person today you know doesn't know the Lord. And you're going to get passionate about inviting them or ministering to them, influencing them again. Never lose your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Passionate ambassador. Okay, here's the third word, and that's the word perceptivity. Be perceptive about the spiritual potential in people. Paul said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now that world out there is going to evaluate your worth by externals. If you're wealthy, if you are attractive, if you have accomplished something significant, then you're worth something. Otherwise, not so much. Paul said I used to look at Christ that way I wasn't very impressed with Jesus because he didn't have the academic credentials he didn't have the worldly affluence but now that I met him on the road to Damascus I don't look at him that way any longer but that's what was so wonderful about Jesus he saw people not the way the world saw them but he saw them for who they could become who would ever guess that vacillating personality Simon Peter would become a rock like character in the church who would ever guess that the persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, would become the world's greatest missionary, the Apostle Paul. Or that Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons in her, would be the first to witness the resurrection. Who'd ever guess? The woman at the well had been married five times, living with a guy she wasn't even married to. She would become an evangelist to win the whole city of Sychar to Jesus. The world saw her as a degenerate. Jesus saw her as a potential evangelist. How do you view the people you rub shoulders with every day from the guy who delivers your mail to the person who teaches your child in school? How do you view them? You put them in a spiritual category. They'd never be interested. You put them in a box and say, they're just a intellectual snob. They're a wheeler dealer. They're hopeless addict. They're a drunken snob. They're a obnoxious UK fan they would never listen how do you put people in categories be perceptive about what God can do in them and through them therefore if anyone anyone is in Christ he's a new creation the old is gone the new is come we got a guy in our church at southeast named Kent Evans Kent Evans is a businessman has five sons and he decided he wanted to teach his sons about the Bible as their father So he began to look for literature to help him. Couldn't find any. So he began to write his own lessons. He'd write a verse of scripture and then ask discussion questions to get his kids talking about the Bible, applying the Bible. Well, other people heard about what he's doing, asked for the material. The material became so popular, he started a parachurch organization called Manhood Journey. And those materials became so popular, they're now circulating with millions of people across America. He quit his job and he became the director of Manhood Journey. About a year and a half ago, he got a telephone call from a guy who said, My name is Ben Roethlisberger. I've been reading your material. I'd like to talk with you further about this. I want to start a ranch where I invite fathers in to talk with their sons about the gospel. I'm thinking about using your material. Can we get together? Now, Kent was enough of a sports fan that he recognized the name of Ben Roethlisberger as the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when he told me that, I really gulped because I grew up in Pennsylvania. I had always been a Steeler fan, but Ben Roethlisberger, he's got a terrible reputation. I mean, he was suspended from the NFL for abusing women or something, and he's got a bad reputation. But if you followed his career... When he played his last game and the Steelers were eliminated from the playoffs two years ago, he was interviewed after the game and a reporter asked him, what are you going to do in retirement? And I was stunned to hear Ben Roethlisberger say, I'm going to do whatever I can to advance the kingdom of God. You know what? Somebody invited Ben Roethlisberger to church or a small group. Somebody saw in him a spiritual Interest that nobody else saw and I want to challenge you you find somebody in your circle of influence don't write them off and see what you can do about planting a seed for the gospel if it's just inviting them to church or talking to them about the Lord be perceptive here's the last word and it's the word ministry See your task as a ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us this ministry, this message of reconciliation. Let's say you have a, a, a couple friend, husband and wife. And you discover that they are deep, deep, deeply and hopelessly in debt. They're $100,000 in debt. Their car's about to be repossessed. They're about to be evicted from their home. You're not a person of means, so you can't help them. But you've got a wealthy friend who says to you, I've heard about the plight of that couple. I want to help out. Here's a check for $200,000. I want them to use $100,000 to pay off all their bills, another $100,000 to get them a jump start in the next chapter of their life. How long would it take you to take that check to your friends? You couldn't wait to get there. Now that world out there is hopelessly in debt by their sin, in debt to God. And Satan is eager to collect what is due him. They may not know that, but they're indebted. And God, in his riches in Jesus Christ, has paid in full the debt of all their sin on the cross. And in addition to that, he Once he is accepted as Savior, he will grant to them the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be imputed in their heart. Verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when you come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just cleanse you of your sin and empty you. He fills you with his spirit and the righteousness of Christ. And God looks at you and he sees Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christianity becomes a privilege, a ministry when we understand we have this message of reconciliation. We are not high-pressure salesmen trying to twist people's arms to get them to buy a timeshare that they don't really need. And we're not like Westboro Baptist people who stand outside of Churchill Downs with signs telling everybody they're going to hell for having a good time. We are Christ ambassadors. We are ministers Which means servants trying to help other people, to care for other people, to pastor them as a part of the flock. Like Jesus who said, I didn't come to be served. I'm not a prima donna. I come to serve. And it's an amazing thing. When you start serving people, being compassionate to people, they are open to your message. I've got two sons. I've got a son who is a preacher in Florida. And I've got a son who is a policeman here in town. I've got love and justice in my home But my son who is a preacher in Near Fort Myers, Florida The Lord calls me down to visit him Every January and February You Gotta go where the Lord leads you, you know I was down to visit him in, I think, November Several years ago And I discovered that my preacher son Is really deeply involved In the local high school football program Uh, The high school football in Florida is huge. I went to one game. They had 5,000 people at the game. And uh, Rusty is not just the chaplain of the team. He's on staff. He's a paid coach of player development of this uh, Port Charlotte High School. And I think five of the coaches have now come to his church and been baptized in his church. And I was at a game with him. And I said, Rusty, how in the world did you get so involved with the team football when you you never played a day of high school football in your life he says pretty easy dad i just went to the coach when i got here and i said how can we help you about the second time i asked him he gave me a list of things he wished volunteers in the community would do and probably the hardest thing on the list was they needed somebody to launder all the football uniforms every weekend the assistant coaches have been doing it every saturday So she said, I volunteered. We'll launder the uniforms. So after every game, I go in, I collect the uniforms. I take them home, put them in the vestibule of my house. We have to fumigate the house. But we have three or four families from church that come and divide them up. And we launder all the uniforms, take them back on Monday. At the end of the game, he said, come on, Dad, help me. So I go into the high school locker room at the end of a football game. Have you ever been in a high school football locker room at the end of a game? Let me tell you, it does not, it's not a sweet smelling savor to God. It is so putrid, it'll burn the hair out of your nose and what it'll do. And here I am, I'm a mega church preacher. I'm bending down, picking up these smelly, sweaty uniforms, stick them in a sack, put them in up the sack, lugging this 50-pound sack, 100 yards to the car. We go back for the second load. We're loading some more uniforms in. And the head coach walks by the doorway and says, thank you, Pastor Rusty. See you in church Sunday. There you have it. It's amazing how people will listen to your message if you're willing to wash your feet or the uniforms. Yesterday my son called me because the week before one of the coaches on the team aged 27 suddenly died in his sleep. Just been married a month. Tragedy. We had a funeral last week. He said, Dad, yesterday, Dad, pray for me because I think we're having 12 boys on the team baptized this coming Sunday today. It's amazing what happens if you see yourself as a minister, a servant. And I want to challenge you. You be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You be open, transparent, like Oscar Swaybe. I'm just trying to glorify God. Don't be ashamed of that. And you be passionate about evangelism. Even if you've been a Christian for more than six years, You get intense again about winning people to Christ. So when you get to heaven, you you bring some people with you. And you be perceptive. Don't write people off just because you think they're not interested. Give them a chance. Then you serve them. You invite them. And it will be amazing how God can use you and how he can bless Oklahoma Christian Church. Let's pray. Father, I... I just thank you for this congregation and the witness that they have been in this community for many years. I thank you for Fitz and his family and for the staff here. Thank you for the leaders. I just pray you continue to use this church as your ambassador in this community. That many will be brought to the kingdom of God because of the testimony of Oklahoma Christian Church. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.